Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Everyone thinks I had a storybook career, that I just sprang into Disney Channel stardom overnight, made millions, and lived happily ever after. Spoiler alert, I didn't. There were countless failures along the way, and there still are. How I deal with that struggle and how I pivot when failure creeps in is what allows me to keep going, keep learning, and keep striving for balance. The Vulnerable Podcast is an invitation to hang out every week with me, Christy Carlson Romano, as I invite friends, celebrities, and experts for in-depth conversations discussing the good, the complicated, the beauty of being human, and what it means to be vulnerable. Join me every Tuesday as we navigate the ups and downs of my guests' paths to success. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Thanks for downloading this week's episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. For the first time in a very long time, we're able to preview some rugby, and uh, that's exactly what we're going to do. We've got uh, Scarlets versus Cardiff Blues and Ospreys versus Dragons coming up next week. Although it's slightly weird having these Welsh derbies in August, uh, it's a good opportunity to look at some of the players um, who've been signed, some of the coaching teams, uh, and it's just generally good to have Welsh rugby back. And joining me to uh, preview those is Stefan Thomas, the Welsh rugby journalist. So yeah, we got stuck into loads of different things ranging from uh, recruitment, strengths and weaknesses, the players we're looking forward to seeing, and of course some of the off the field stuff as well, ranging from yeah politics to the future of the regions and all of these kind of things. So yeah, another interesting chat as it always is with Steph. So hopefully you will thoroughly enjoy this episode. I know I certainly enjoyed recording it. And a big thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Uh, mentioned on last week's show that there's now an instant range so uh, you can make that so coffee if you're in a hurry as uh, I was this week busy uh, trying to redecorate our house to move uh, move back into it and uh, yeah managed to grab a cup of that before uh, jumping out the door for a day's worth of painting and it certainly helped uh, 
get me a, yeah, get me a bit more sprightly. So if you want to do the same, you can go over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast and guess what, we've got some rugby to preview for you and it's been five months since we've been able to say that and joining me to do that, I'm delighted to say welcoming you back to the Attacking Scrum podcast, it is Stefan Thomas, how are you Steph? I'm very well, thank you, Jed. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good to be. Uh, yeah, just good to be talking about uh, talking about upcoming rugby again because it's been such a long time. How are you feeling about these upcoming fixtures? Are they uh, are they getting you excited, or is it kind of just better to be having some rugby than none? Um, to be honest, with you, Jed, um, yeah, it, it's more. I'm I'm not overly excited mm. because if you look uh, from a Welsh regional point of view. The games are—it's got a pre-season feel about it. I know the the Scarlets are mathematically still in contention for the playoffs, but it's not going to happen, really, is it? Mm. So obviously, it's it's a very big positive step forward that we've we're able to have rugby in Wales um, at professional level. But you know, it, there's not really that much to play for, is there? So it's a bit of a damp squib, in my opinion. It is, uh, yeah. I mean, it is, uh, but I suppose. Got the you've got the the thing that I think excites me a bit more, um, and it would certainly be the case if there was crowds in the stadium. But it is at least that we've got some Welsh derbies to look forward to, yeah. rather than it being you know Scarlet Zebra and Cardiff Cardiff Treviso, and you know just the, those less glamorous ties that you have within there. Because um, I guess from a from a playing perspective, like you say, it's gauging whether it will feel like pre season for them, or you'll actually get out on the pitch and. And, you know, as a, as a paid professional, you're going to want to get out there and, and lay down a few markers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you, as we saw Friday night, um, you know, the Sale Harlequins game, the first 20 minutes was error. You know, there was errors mm. throughout. Um, it did have a little bit of a pre-season feel about it, despite the fact it was a, you know, a very important game for both sides. And it'll be the same in the Welsh derbies, when it? You know, it'll, it'll be a lot of mistakes. Uh, I think the intent will be there, but... Uh, Ultimately, you know, when you when you haven't played that much rugby for well, any rugby since um, since March, you're, you're going to be, you know, quite rusty. So, um, yeah, yeah, I I think it'll it'll be quite um, you know quite messy to begin with, but hopefully um, they can get back into their um, into their stride quite soon. Well, we're going to be previewing both games in the course of this podcast. We're going to start by uh, by looking at. The first of those fixtures, which is Scarlet's at home to the Cardiff Blues, which takes place next Saturday. And rather than just looking at the fixture, because it's been so long and there's been player recruitment and everything else going on alongside this, we're going to have a team-by-team breakdown as well. So we may as well start, Steph, seeing as you're on and it's uh, uh, it's your side. We're gonna, we'll start with the Scarlet's and, the, and with them being the, the home team. Uh, announced last week, 16-17 uh, re-signings of players. Uh, some, some pretty shrewd business over the... Uh, you know the, the the summer, or at least over the lockdown period, um, you must be pretty pleased with the way that that, that recruitment's gone. Yeah, I think 
you know when when you consider the um the financial difficulties that the you know every rugby club in in the world i suppose is facing at the moment i mean the scarlets have easily i think the, the strongest squad of all four um regions um i think i think i think all four starting lineups aren't there's not much difference but mm. the scarlets are a lot stronger than the other three as i think the depth they've got in this squad um you know when when you heard that you know w- that the, there'd be no rugby in march and that um obviously we're going to be playing behind closed doors for a long time you did fear that there'd be um a, a fire sale of players because the Scarless budget is, you know, it, it's um, in the £8 million ballpark, mm. which, is, which is a lot. They've invested quite heavily in the squad. So, um, you know, they've done very well to to retain the majority of the squad. Um, I think they've recruited really well. Um, personally, the, the best signing, in, in my opinion, is is controversial. But I think um, Sione Calamaforni, mm. uh, I think he's, he's been consistently one of the the best number eights in the Gallagher Premiership um, for a good few seasons at Gloucester and then at Leicester. Um, it's a bit of a worry because obviously he missed the end of last season with concussion, but he's a very powerful carrier, really high work, great destructive uh, destructive tackler. And he's the sort of player that the Scarlets have missed, that when they've lost those tight games in Europe, it's because they haven't had a player that can sort of pick the ball up from the base of the ruck and just... Or the base of the scrum and just put his head down and get over the game line and make twenty or thirty meters. That that's the sort of player that they've they've lacked. So I think that's a really good signing. Johnny Williams, I think I'm, I'm you know, it's pretty intriguing signing as well. Hmm. Um, you know, he's he's obviously been um, pretty strong performer for London Irish and Newcastle prior to his um, stickler cancer diagnosis, which which obviously he's he's recovered from. And I think that's, I think he you know it's a matter of time before he plays for Wales and. Um, obviously, um, Sam Costello as well, who's who's uh, who's one for the future, and um, you know, we, I I don't need to go into detail about how good a signing Liam Williams is. So on the whole, um, I think they've got a a very very strong squad, and I think they've strengthened the areas that they were weak in, um, primarily a lack of a ball carrying number eight. So yeah, I think they're um, their best place to do some damage this season. We've always historically thought of the Scarlet strength as you know. I guess being that um, that expansive brand, the rugby that uh, that played for for so many years, uh, is that still where you see the strengths, or are there other areas that that you consider to be the uh, uh, the areas that they're going to win games? Well, that that's that's their DNA, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, the and the Scarlets have played that way for not that I can remember but you know for the best part of 100 years they've always prided themselves on playing the 15-man rugby throwing the ball around taking risks and you know Glenn Delaney has been pretty clear that they're going to continue in that vein but I think what what what's better about this Scarlet squad is that they can mix it up front as well because in the past they've had a bit of you know they, it's always been a case of if everything clicks for them mm. you know they play fast and furious and if everything clicks for them they can beat top teams but they've always struggled against teams that come at them direct and stick it up the jumper. But they've got a good scrum. I think Samson Lee staying fit is going to be important. Um, and you know he hasn't he hasn't had much luck in that department since 2015. So fingers crossed there. But they've added some real carriers in their pack. Um, I really like Tavita Ratuva um, for G and Lock. He's you know okay. His discipline isn't great, but he's one of those players. You know he. He very rarely loses a collision. He makes serious yards. Calma Fornie will be that type of player as well. 
Um, and obviously having Blair Thompson fit, I'm hearing that he's he's tearing it up in training. I think mm. that'll be like a new signing as well. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think w- what they've got now is that they can play in the past. They've obviously played an exciting brand of rugby, but it's, they haven't really had a plan B, mm. if you get what I mean. Now they, they can shove it up the jumper. They can compete with a better packs. And um, as I said, you know, obviously there are you know, bigger packs again in England and France, but I think they'll be, um, you know, they, they are... If a Welsh team is going to win or compete for silver this season, or I say this season, but next season, then it'll be the Scarlets for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You mentioned there Samson Lee too, and I think that, uh, you know, whatever he is now, 26, 27 years old, it's it's an interesting point in his development. And perhaps some of the coaching appointments are a reason to think that that could be a good shot in the arm for him. I think particularly with Franks coming in, that... That could well be um, that could well be you know an, an area where you could again you talk about almost like having new signings uh, with Blade Thompson coming back. If you're able to get a fit Samson Lee scrummaging like he used to at the start of his career, or even kick on again, that could be uh, that could be like another new signing in itself. Yeah, certainly. I mean, obviously, the, the problem with Samson hasn't been you know a lack of attitude or um, or anything like that. It's it's purely down to injury, I think, isn't it? I mean. He had he came on the scene, um, you know, and he he very quickly made his way to the to the Welsh squad. I mean, he was he was identified as a future international. I don't know if you remember, but in the oh, yeah. 2012 Junior World Cup, he um, he destroyed the New Zealand scrum. I think it was Wales's. Um, I think it was New Zealand's first defeat in that competition. So um, he he was sort of all, all always earmarked for greater things, and he. Um, you know, he took over from Adam Jones quite quickly, and at the start of his Wales career, he he was excellent. But um, you know, obviously, he he had that Achilles injury in <clears> the <throat> 2015 World Cup, and he never really fully recovered from it. So, I think it's you know, it, it's about keep staying fit. And if you look at Wales as tight dead options, there are players who are far more mobile around the park, who offer more around the park. But in terms of scrummaging. You know, Wales are short of really strong scrummage and tight dead. So if he can stay fit and if he can get back to the sort of level of scrummage and he was at, you know, in the past, then you know he he can still have an international career. So I think it is a a big um, twelve to eighteen months ahead for Samson if he wants to get back to what he was prior to his injuries. And you mentioned those areas that have been tightened up, particularly in terms of ball carrying. Where do you see the Scarlets having any weaknesses? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, it's the first time in a long time where I look at their squad and I'm thinking, you know, there, there's not that many weaknesses there. Mm. Um, you know, in the past, they've always been super strong in certain areas. Like, if you go back to the Pivac area, always always very strong at the breakdown when they had Tyburn, Cubby, etc. Mm. And obviously, they've always always strong behind the scrum. They, they always have been. But there's always been that, well, you know, is their front five quite good enough? But now you're thinking, that's one of the better front fives in the Pro 14, I think. Um, I think maybe the big challenge is gelling under a new coaching team. There's some continuity there, because obviously it's not as if Delaney's coming in cold and he has to get to know his players. He he knows the players inside out already. He would have been been able to recruit his own men. 
Um, obviously, they, they got a new forwards coach in Richard Kelly, and and as you said, you know, well documented that all ex All Black um, Ben Franks has come in. So I suppose it's how they gel. And maybe if I was to pick one weakness, the, the biggest challenge they face is the fact that this this is the biggest weakness in the Pro 14. You know, the Scarlets have an international, their starting team, you know, is is star-studded, isn't it? You know, they've got international players all around the park and they're punished for producing Welsh internationals because they those players are going away with Wales. You know, there'll be a lot of internationals this season because, understandably, because obviously they want to make up for the, the lost income of, um, you know, games cancelled last year. So, um, you know, it's going to be how they cope during those international periods. But what they have got is, you know, they've got Sam Lousy, Tavita Rituva, Carla Mafoni, Uzek Asim. So they've got some really good non-Welsh qualified players, high-caliber players who perhaps the other regions haven't got. So I think I think they should be OK. But their biggest challenge is, you know, coping without their, their senior internationals during... Um, international periods and obviously you know sometimes you have injuries on top of that so that's the the biggest challenge for them I think. Yeah I mean obviously they they are punished in terms of losing those those players but like you uh, like you say that the recruitment's been good and I guess that's been aided by the fact that we do now have that um, that change in the wage structure that means that uh, the Wales internationals will have uh, the bulk of their wages paid by by the union which again frees you freeze the scarlets up to to do that better recruitment and as you say there you're pretty confident the players that they've brought in are going to be able to to add a add an, another dimension and add the depth to that squad even when uh, even when the internationals are being played because there's going to be there's going to be so much international rugby over the next uh, over the next 10 months or so yeah absolutely and you know I'm I'm really looking for as you know I said at the start of the podcast it's a bit it's a bit flat, isn't it? The return to play because realistically, no region is going to get to the playoffs. But it's going to be interesting to see um, Scarlet's out in Toulon. Well, if it does happen mm. in that um, Challenge Cup quarter final, because um, you'd expect the um, grounds to be quite hard at that time of year. So um, you know, they, they might have you know uh, an outside chance of winning that game. And it'd be interesting to see how they go in um, in the Champions Cup next season. Um, obviously, we. We can't say for certain because of the, the coronavirus, but um, you know they have a squad that, in normal times, you'd be looking at them and thinking, right, that they should they should be able to um, compete very hard to get out of their pool in Europe. So, you know, it'd be really nice to see Welsh region, um, like the Scarlets did a couple of years back, you know, compete in the latter stages of the Champions Cup. And um, looking at their squad, there's no reason why they can't have those sort of ambitions. Okay, well, let's take a, a look at the opposition uh, next week, which is Cardiff Blues. I guess it's been uh, it's been a bit of a quiet summer in terms of recruitment for the Blues. They've got a, you know, a few players coming in to join them. How do you assess their um, their signings over the summer? I think the signings they have made, um, Reese Carey and Corey Hill, are elite level signings. Mm-hmm. They're top end international players. I think. Corey Hill is a, a big signing for him because he's not just a very good player. I think he's a real he's a real leader as well, and that's maybe something that they've lacked in their front five over the past few seasons. Yeah, um, you know he's athletic. He, he suits the way they play. He's got an edge from physically, and I, I think Reese Carey is a dark horse for the Lions tour. I yeah. think his, his potential is massive. 
and he's only going to get better and better. And he's you know, we, we spoke about what the Scarlets lacked and he's what the Blues lack. You know, a really explosive ball carrier, a really physical player. So that that's good. And um, you know, obviously um Luke Scully's one for the future. So I think uh, I think especially the two Welsh internationals are big signings, but I just think you look at the Blues as starting team, it, it can do damage. You can beat the best teams, but they don't have the depth, for example, of the Scarlets have got. You know, we spoke about uh, Rotuva, Carl Mafoni, Sam Lousy, high caliber non Welsh qualified players that'll be there throughout the season. I'm not convinced the Blues have got that. You know, when they lose um, Kare, Corey Hill, Navidi, mm. Ellis Jenkins, if he gets fit to, to the Welsh squad, and then you know they, they'll all be gone to international rugby. Um, you know, the, the depth isn't there. I think what's key for them, two key players. Um, I think, um, well, what, the biggest player for me potentially has to be Sam Moore, because you know Nick Williams was. You know, Colossus, wasn't he? Yeah, well, that's the correct word. Not not just in size, but in terms of impact on the field. He was, um, um, you know, on and off the field. You know, he was everything for them. And, you know, having a number eight that can just get over the game line when your scrum is going backwards and make serious yardages, you know, that can be the difference between winning and losing. So losing him is a big blow. And I think Sam Moore, I remember watching him for England 20s and early in his career for sale and he looked the real deal obviously injuries have held him back and we don't know whether he'll be what what he should have been but I think they really need him to um, stay injury free and if he reaches his potential then <laughs> if he reaches his potential he'll be away with Wales as well but I think he's going to be a real key player for the next season Yeah I mean he's a, a really interesting talent and you're right one who's been kind of earmarked from a young age and again, is at that kind of crucial stage in his career. And I said this on last week's podcast, I, th- I feel like there's a lot of that pack who um, have had loads of potential and they, they're now at that position where Cardiff will need them to kick on. So I'm, I'm thinking about the, the Seb Davises and the Rory Thorntons who, you know, were, had success and, um, and international caps at a, a pretty young stage. And now at that phase where, I don't, you know, I'm not saying they necessarily hit a hurdle or something, but they're going to want to kick on and, and step up to the step up to the next level. And I think I think Cardiff will need them to do that. And another player, uh, sorry, I should have mentioned just now, another player who I think they need to keep fit is Dimitri Arhip. Mm-hmm. because um, I'm a big fan of Dylan Lewis, but you know, he's I don't think scrummaging is a strong point. I think he's getting better, but. John Mulverhill told me last season, and I asked him at a press conference, and he, he said Dimitri Ayev's the best scrummaging tight end in the Pro 14. Yeah. Now, that's a big statement, but he is he is that level. And uh, obviously, I don't know if you remember, but when he left the Ospreys, he allegedly signed a, a deal worth. He did in France, wasn't it? Yeah. Apparently, a deal worth 600,000 euros a year to go to Montpellier. And I think he, he failed um, a medical, so then he ended up going to Cardiff. But the fact he was off with that amount of money shows how good he is. Um, but the problem he's had is, is injury. And if he stays fit, uh, you know, he's key for them because they really need a solid set piece if they're going to do anything because they've got an excellent back row. You know, likes of Ollie Robertson will be there all through the season. Shane Lewis here was both of them's a good prospect. But, you know, you just, you just fear that they're going to be a bit too lightweight in the front five when their internationals are away. And that's probably going to prevent them making the playoffs, I think. 
I think that's been the that's been the story the last few years. Really, is that um, is that front five has lacked uh, has lacked a, a bit of proper grunt. Um, I, and yeah, you're you're absolutely right when you when you consider that our hip has not been able to stay fit um, for a for a long enough period of time to have the same impact that he had at the Ospreys. Uh, you've had Carey, you know, he's a young prospect. He's been away for a season without Saracens and is now back. Um, and in the and in the second row, you know, I, I genuinely I think they really benefited from from when Philo Paolo turned up last year, just adding a bit of mm-hmm. a bit of real, you know, nasty grunt work around the pitch. And um and that that's the area that I still think they're gonna need to do. And again, I think Hooker, perhaps they're a bit light in there. Um, you know, Daisy Daisy's been a loyal servant for a long period of time. Then you've got the, you know, the likes of Belcher and Myhill, who are I think Bel- you know, Belcher's a Belcher's a good player. You know, Myhill has, has been a has been a played, you know, played Pro 14 rugby for a long time. Um, but I just wonder whether they need they needed to recruit in that uh, in that area as well as uh, as well as in the locks. Oh, I absolutely agree with you 100 percent And Every um every season they're always consistently linked to Ryan Elias and mm. Elliot. Um I'm not sure what what the truth of it is, but you know, if, if I were were um, John Mulverhill or the Cardiff Blues board or you know the head of recruitment, I'd certainly be looking to sign one of those two. Because as you said, Dacey's a, a good player, but you know, he's injured quite a lot. And he, even with him there, they're shorter tucker. They're lacking quality in that area, aren't they? Let's let's not be from the bush. Just a big Achilles heel for them, and um, they they really needed to recruit. Then, well, you know, I don't want to keep going back to the Scarlets. I think you're right. The point you're making about Philo Paolo, he adds a bit of. He's not. I'm not. I'm not personally a big fan, but obviously I see what you're saying. He adds a real grunt to their pack, um, or you know, at least a little bit of an edge, doesn't he? Mm. But. You know, you look at what the Scarlets have got, you know, that Tavita Atuva, who was actually man of the match when Scarlets beat Cardiff in in January, you know, because he's just so physical. He's knocking them back all the time. Just just somebody who's going to be there throughout the season and who can just get you over the game line with ease. They haven't got that. You know, they. I know for a fact they were looking at a few South African locks um, from the Curry Cup, you know, yeah. like that, you know, a bit of hit to miss. But yeah, they really, really... Um, Obviously, they this you can't blame them too much because this virus has hit and they're they're fight like everybody else. You know, they they can it would be a bit um, a bit silly to recruit because obviously the like the other regions, the signings they announced were made before the mm. virus. But um, yeah, they, they are short in the front five, and um, another player who I think needs to really show what he's about and show that he's he, he's worth all the applause he gets is Seb Davis. No mm-hmm. doubt he's a talented player, but you know, you get all these people, you know, I know Nick Williams has said before in interviews, I think he's gonna be a future British Lion, but he needs to show that for me, he he hasn't justified the hype. I think he's somebody that needs to to really um kick on in the next few seasons because um yeah, as as I said, I, I don't think he's justifying the hype at the moment. I think he's exactly he's exactly that kind of player, and um, I, I've I've been a, a big big fan of his. Um, and I think you know you go back and listen to podcasts from uh, from two or three years ago, and uh, I was definitely in that camp of uh, of you know praising the uh, the potential that he's got. But now at, at the age of twenty four, this is this is exactly what I'm saying. These these are times where he needs to kick on and become a. Um, a top class international, uh, sorry, if, if not international, a top class uh, club 
lock forward. And um, again, we said last week, I don't think that stint um, in the national side playing at eight, you know, I, I don't think that helped at all. It, it, it never looked natural there for me. Um, I think, uh, you know, to be fair, I, I don't think Cardiff did it on, on that many occasions, but I just think it, it's about developing those. Um, we, we know he's got the kind of the athletic ability and the, and the ball handling and stuff like that. But I think it's about those nuts and bolts of um, of, uh, of second row play that um, that he needs to start showing and putting in those big performances. You know, it's it's the ball carrying, the tackling, um, adding stuff at the breakdown. That's that's what Cardiff will need from him this season and you know, you know this season slash next season, whatever we're calling it. Absolutely, and another area I think that a bit liked is outside half. Mm. Um, you know, obviously Jared's fantastic prospect um well he's a fantastic player but you know I, I still think maybe he needs to his game management isn't quite there uh, i think they really missed gareth anscombe last couple of seasons mm-hmm. um sorry last season um you know he him in the same team as jared took a lot of pressure off jared um you know but i i've no doubt jared's gonna make it as a top international i think it's a matter of when not if but i think you know obviously Behind him, there's struggling. And you know, I mean, Jason Tavvy's a, a decent player, but he's getting on a bit. Luke mm. Scully, obviously, you know, decent prospect, but oh, I, I just think they're, they're lacking a bit of 10 behind Jared. And I think that one player I think is one of the most underrated players in, in Wales, if not the Pro 14, is Ray Lilo. Mm. I think he's a really, really good player. I think he's the, the glue that holds the team together. And another guy who's going to be interesting as well is Willis Halaholo. Um, you know, because Wales lack depth in midfield, don't they? And um, especially at outside centre, and I think I think he'll get capped. Um, well, I, th- I think he would. I think he would have. Uh, I, I can't remember if that Barbarians game last year was a capped game or not. But he was he was in the squad and picked up a, a, a season-ending injury, didn't he? So I, th- I think it's pretty clear that he's um, he's going to feature, providing he's he's able to steer clear of injury because he's he's got the ability and it's something. It's something very different from what Wales have in the centres. You know, I think you've got, you know, John Fox. You've got kind of the all-round centre, but he's very much built on on power and and, and great defensive ability. Um, and then you know you've got some other options. Losing Hadley Parks means that you don't necessarily have that ball carrying um, slash. You know, uh, you know, he was a footballing option as well. Just like you know, I guess a bit of a level head in the centre, um, yeah. but there perhaps hasn't been that real uh, jack-in-the-box can make something out of nothing, sidestepping um, player. And obviously, Halaholo brings all that. And that's a that's a threat that, that I think Pivak will, will, will want to see in his, uh, in his, his training squads, if not in his, uh, in, in his match day 23. Oh, absolutely. I think it's almost, as long as he's fit, it's almost certain he's going to get capped. Um, I agree. You know, Halaholo offers something different to, um, to the other centres in the squad. He's got brilliant feet. Um, you know he's he's got really explosive power as well, um, and he'd be a lot of fun. But um, the only problem with the Halla Hall, he can be a bit, he can sort of drift in and out of games. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, you know he, he's a he's a very destructive tackler. But Jonathan Davis is absolutely unrivaled in world rugby in how he he's you know he he manages you know the blitz defence, how he reads attacking players and shuts them down. Because I remember Sean Edwards saying um, a few years back that you can be the the best defender on the park and not have to make one tackle, um, and Halaholo does tend to sort of 
jump out of the line and miss time tackles. And if you know, they say the 13 is the toughest position on the field to defend in. Mm. Um, so that's his challenge. Well, I think he'd definitely get capped, but in terms of the Cardiff Blues, I think their strongest team is good enough to beat most teams in, in Europe, but obviously they, they're lacking the depth, I think, to to really sort of challenge to make the playoffs. I, I, I think they'll come, sh- I think they'll fall short, if I'm being honest. With All right, let's just finish the first half of this show by asking you for a prediction then. Scarlets versus Cardiff Blues, what, uh, what do you think will happen? Well, it's very difficult, isn't it, to, to, to know what, what's going to happen because we haven't got anything to go on. Um, again, you know, I, I think it'd be pretty tight. Um, you know, obviously it's outside the international window, so, uh, um, you know, they, they'll have as strong a team as possible. But I, I'll go Scarless because they're home, but it could go either way. Um, I don't suppose home advantage counts at all because there's no fans and it's only down the road. feel like it, yeah. I'll go Scarlet, but I, I don't know. Um, could go either way. Very difficult one to call that. Yeah, I'm going to go for a narrow Scarlet's victory uh, as well. But I think it could be, a, yeah, it could be, it could be a close fit. I get the feeling that, like you say, there could be a lot of errors. And with the way that both these sides like to play rugby, you can see those back lines exploiting that. And um, I think, I think it could be, I think it could be a, a very exciting game of rugby actually. And I hope I'm not proved wrong when we uh, when we come back to talk about it next week. Uh, but we're going to be looking ahead to the other fixture and previewing. Uh, that as well as doing uh, the team by team analysis of the Ospreys and Dragons and that will be coming up in the second half of the show but first we have this very very quick break Right, time now, Steph, to turn our attention to the other two teams in action next week. So the Ospreys take on the Dragons on Sunday. It's been a while since we've had a Sunday um, Sunday Pro 14 fixture, but they uh, they are back. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's start with the Ospreys as they're the the home team. Um, I mean, it's been nothing short of an appalling season for them. However, a hell of a lot has changed in the time that. Uh, that lockdown has taken over. There's a change in coach, change in ownership, and uh, a change in a lot of uh, a lot of the um, the playing and coaching staff. So, do you think there's there's reasons for uh, for the Ospreys to be a bit more optimistic going into these games? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, they, they've last season was well, it's still the same season, but <laughs> last season then was was a disaster. I don't think there's any other word we can use for it, really. Um, it was anarchy on and off the field, wasn't it? Um, you know, I was at the Liberty Stadium when they lost to a pretty poor Southern Kings team, and that that's probably the low point in the history of the Ospreys. I say they were absolutely rudderless, you know, on and off the field. Really, um, you know, they, you know, I, I was quite critical of them um, in in some of the things I wrote. You know, I I don't think that they've been run properly. If I'm being honest, I think the recruitment was was awful. You know, the, they've still got a very unbalanced squad, in my opinion. Uh, and I think Alan Clark was uh, thrown under the bus because uh, I don't think he was able to do what he um, what he wanted to do, really. Um, but I think Mike Rudder coming in has changed a lot of things. Um, I think Rudder, you know, I think probably his coaching days are behind him. But yeah. I think in the role he's currently in, I think it's it's. Uh, it's a very, very strong appointment, very, very positive appointment because I think he 
he's a guy that knows rugby inside out. He knows the market inside out in terms mm-hmm. of signing players. He's a, he's a man that's big on culture, and he's not going to take any rubbish off the field. Um, you know, he's going to put people in their places if if he's if he thinks somebody's not not pulling their weight. He's he's going to act on it. Uh, and I don't think that was the case in the past. So I think Ruddick is the the biggest appointment they could have made. Um, and I, I think Toby Booth is a you know jury's out obviously, but I think as a pre I think a positive appointment. Mm. I think he's what is a bit like Dean Ryan. You know, he's he's what they need at this particular moment in time. It's no they, nonsense, isn't it? Really, yeah, and that's what they need. They need somebody to come in and get it working again. You know, it's not about winning silver at the moment. They're way off that. It's about getting respect back into their brand, back into their the, the team really. Um, you know, and obviously on field results and. You know, things can't get any worse for them on the field. So you'd expect them to be a lot better to end this season and looking ahead to next season. Um, you know, Brock. I think Brock James is a intriguing appointment, isn't it? Um, you know, James Hook as well. So mm. there's been a shake-up in the coaching team, you know, some fresh ideas. I think in terms of um, the, the the signings they've made, I like Matt Prothrow. I've been impressed with him for Bristol and... Uh, yeah, it's nice to see him come back to Wales and you know might even play for Wales in the future. So, where, um, uh, where do you see him fitting in, Steph? This is an interesting one because you know I've seen him playing a, a few different positions for Bristol. Um, I get the feeling that Ospreys are looking at him more as a as a full back option than anywhere else. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I covered Bristol a lot last season. He's a very talented player. Great feet, brilliant finisher. He's a very intelligent footballer because he started. He played age grade at ten, mm. so he stand at first receiver a lot. Um, there are some question marks over his defence. Um, he's not, he's not weak in defence, but he's perhaps not not as strong as some other players. But he's he, he's a sort of player that always takes the right options. You know, he he's a great finisher, as I said. You know, he's he's got pace. He's got a really really good kicking game. Can you know his goal kick as well. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say wing. I'd say mm. wing. And I think you'll see him standing at first receiver a lot because obviously you've got Brock James and James Hook, two very innovative tens when they played. So you would have thought that you'd see a bit more of an expansive game. So I think you know he'll be on the wing because they want to hide some of his defensive deficiencies. Maybe um, not that he's weak in defence, but he's not as strong as others. And I think they'll on second phase. I think you'll see him pop up at first receiver a lot and. Um, because you know, he's got a lot of vision, so I think wing with the option of um, playing in field during the game. Yeah, it's interesting because outside half is an area of, of weakness for them. Obviously, Gareth Anscombe injury doesn't show any sign of uh, of relenting and there being a, a comeback anytime soon. And uh, Luke Price certainly struggled. Um, and, and, you know, and Kai Evans is a you know is a, a prospect and and featured more at fifteen than he than he did at ten um, throughout the course of the season. But they brought in Stephen Myler to add a, you know, a, a huge amount of experience. It was 34, 35 years old. Um, but it's still an area that that's what part of me thought, you know, is it, might we see Prothero cropping up at 10 in a few of these games? Um, just because, you know, how much are you, uh, how much are you going to be able to, uh, how many games are you, you going to be able to get Stephen Myler playing, you know, at, at that age? Yeah. Um, I think Myler will probably do a decent job, to be honest. He's, you know he's a solid player. He's never been spectacular throughout his his career. As he, you know, he's, he's good kicking game. You know, 
good game management, very streetwise player. So I think he'll, he'll do okay for them. But yeah, they, they still need to recruit a ten, don't they? And the talk on the grapevine has been for you know the you know the well-informed grapevine for quite a while has been um, that you know they are looking in the southern hemisphere for a mm. ten. It's reported in the rugby paper that they were looking at Mitchell Hunt from the Highlanders and Jackson Garden Bastard from the Hurricanes. Not sure what the truth of that is, if I'm being honest. But I think um, I think they definitely need to recruit in ten because they get a couple of injuries of ten, and Prof will have to play. They only hold Brock James or James Hook will have to um, come out to retirement. Um, it'd be that desperate, wouldn't it? So. Um, I think they, they, they are short at 10. There's no doubt about that. I think number eight as well. Uh, they're pretty short in. Um, they, they, their pack isn't what it was. I mean, they've got some great players. You know, Tipperick is absolutely world-class. Arlen Wynn, absolutely world-class. Um, you know, Arden Beard, I, I like as well. Um, so, they, they've got some... Their starting team is, is again, like Cardiff, it's, it's pretty good, but the depth isn't there. I don't think is it, uh, and that's no, why I, I think the depth in key positions isn't there. You look at you look at the second row, and there's a lot. You know, I think there's there's a fair amount of depth in there. You know, with Reece Davis coming in and, and adding a bit more there, and like you say, you've got Beard and Alan Jones, and you know Lloyd Ashley's done a good job from there over a long period of time. Hookers, they've got you know they've got a fantastic choice there, um, and. Uh, you know, even to a certain degree in the front row, it's not. But then you're right when it when it comes to number eight, it, it's um, it's thin on the ground. Obviously, Dan Baker haven't featured for them for a long time, but he's officially made his exit now as well. And you feel like you know you you cast your mind back to 2017 and uh, or or earlier, and Baker was able to add that you know that ball carrying impetus and was a real kind of old school number eight, if you like. And it does feel like that's uh, that's kind of what they're missing out of. Um, out of that back row at the moment and they're reliant on players, you know, like like Cracknell or Morgan Morris, who's a, a good prospect, and they're reliant on those players to kind of do a job for them rather than having an out-and-out starting proven class eight at that level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, uh, as, as you said, the, some of the key positions are lacking depth in and that's, that's the worrying, you know, aspect. Um, when when every, you know when everybody's fit, you know, Arlewyn Jones and Tipperick are, you know, arguably world fifteen level players, but there's there's not there's not the level of depth there that you know that, that's required really. If, you know, obviously there's only two games left of this season, but if we look to next season, unless they recruit, they're not going to make the playoffs really, because they they're just not going to be able to cope with the the players missing and in you know during the international period and that's that's that that's that's been the criticism I've had of the Ospreys in terms of their recruitment. I know you know it's very tough financial times, but I haven't really you know they've signed players and they've thought why are they signing this player because they're already strong in that position. Uh, you know when they're weak in other positions. Like they seem, it seems, it seemed to have been a case of making like statement signings and then leaving yourself short elsewhere. When what they need is, obviously, you know, you want top players, but you need. They have the squad is just too unbalanced. Mm. You've got really good young players, you know, like so Keelan Giles, etc., and Kai Evans, and and there are others coming through as well, like Dewey Lake, and they've got their first choice team players are very good, but the middle tier of players. 
isn't good enough and it hasn't been for a while, right? That's where they need to recruit. They, they don't necessarily need to go out there and sign Liam Williams like they were trying to do or Gareth Anscombe, you know. Even Sam Davis go was a shocking decision all round. They they need that middle tier of player, and that's what both uh, Toby Booth and Mike Ruddock need to address. The the second cho- you know your second choice players, the players that are going to be there throughout the season need to be better, like they were years ago. And they are Jason Spice, Marty Haller, Theo Tia Tia. I know times have moved on financially; the market's different, but that it's that tier of player where they need to. Um, focus their recruitment on and unless they do that they're not going to compete for silver but you have to be you have to be sure you're right that the market's moved on but you have to be shrewd and yeah that's the thing that I've found a bit strange with Ospreys is I've not been entirely sure who is in charge of that recruitment it didn't seem like it was Alan Clark um but potentially he should have been you know because I guess he was there as as kind of the, the head honcho almost doing a director of rugby and head coach role um I, I, that's the bit that I haven't quite understood is like, is who is, who is making those signings. Now I know that Mike Ruddock has said he's not a director of rugby there. Um, he's, he's, it's more of a, uh, you know, a holistic approach to the, to the whole region and player pathway development and all of these kind of things. But I'm sure he must be having a, you know, given the positive impact he's had in various other aspects of the squad and, and the club, I'm sure he, he would, um, he'd be able to offer some opinion on, how to recruit and and how to make um uh, a better quality side because they they've um you know they're going to need to do that in order to in order to be competitive and like you say certainly make a a step up to competing for silverware. Absolutely, and I'd expect the recruitment to improve tenfold now because I think obviously they've got new owners. Um, mm-hmm. Remains to be seen um, what what plans they've got. Obviously, but um, yeah, as I said, Mike Ruddick's a great appointment, and Toby Booth obviously no you know. He's he's been a very shrewd operator at London Irish Bath and uh recently Harlequin. So I, I think he he'll you know, he, he's obviously gonna be aware of where they need to recruit. And I think Ruddock, you know, Ruddock will as I said, he won't take any nonsense and I think he he knows where they need to strengthen and I'd expect the Ospreys to get stronger over the next couple of seasons. But um, you know, as I said, it, it's that middle tier of player that needs to be significantly improved for them to um to get better it is and just to finish on the kind of you know the the marketplace changing I kind of feel like now and, and going forward there is going to be the opportunity to do this because you've got obviously everyone has been impacted by um by covid uh, you've had the uh the salary cap scandal in England as well and you know when you when you look at the the state that the RFU are in and, and the, the cost saving measures they're going to have to imply, it does almost feel like for the, for the shrewder clubs, there will be opportunities to strengthen your squad and bring in a better calibre of player for a lower wage than, um, than you would have before. And particularly if, you know, if the new owners are serious about investing into the, um, into the playing squad, I think this is a good opportunity for the Ospreys to do it. Well, that, that all depends, isn't it? I'm going to open a can of worms. Okay, so um, obviously, you know, it's common sense, I suppose, that, um, you know, the, the the finances of the four pro sides in Wales have always been uh, quite quite There is, yeah. No, no doubt about that. Scarlet obviously did well when they posted a profit, but on the whole, it's been pretty grim for, for all of them, For you know, on the whole. So, um, you know, the... 
given that they're not going to have crowds until next year, if not longer. It's not going to help, is it? Obviously, the, the talk is they'll. Well, it's almost certain they'll be getting a loan from the Welsh Rugby Union. Mm-hmm. A twenty million pound loan. Obviously, we we don't know how it'll be divided between four of them. So obviously, that that's a big problem. Um, uh, the the new owners of the Ospreys. Hopefully, they'll go into their own pocket or uh, at least bring more sponsorship on board, and and that'll improve their financial position. But uh, you know, obviously, I don't know what they they got planned and. Uh, we don't know that. So, you know, it, it's going to be very difficult for the regions. It, it's going to be a very turbulent two to three seasons in professional rugby in Wales. Um, you know, I've I've spoken to a lot of people and there are still, there's still talk of, you know, going to a North Wales, East Wales and West Wales regional setup. Um, obviously, if you mention that in the, in, in a PRB meeting, mm. it would be a lead balloon, obviously. But there's still people within... Welsh rugby who are pushing for that, so you know it's a precarious position. Not not from an Ospreys perspective, but for all of them, mm. you know, it's, you know, there's always talk now of, oh, can we afford four teams? You know, do we go down to three teams? We've always that's always been discussed. Um, you know, I, I mean, among like the, the rugby public and yeah. those sort of in the know, but now you're thinking, oh God, I mean, how are they going to afford four teams? You know, and even if they can, I mean, they're going to be. They're going to be pretty, you know, they're going to be skint, they? they're going to, you know, going to oh, be, they are, they are, but, but what, the thing that I think is different is that for the first time, um, you have English sides in that position because, yeah. um, you know, beforehand they were all just happy to overspend, well, not all, but the vast majority were happy to overspend. Um, and you know, when they had the big TV deal, it all went into, uh, went into signing players. And as a result, you end up with, balance sheets that show massive losses on there and that had been the you know the status quo for a long period of time now you're in a situation where because the the future is so um is so precarious and you see the revenue stream of um of gate receipts getting pulled away from it the uh, particularly in english rugby the, the you know what they're going to do about the, the the new broadcast deal um you know i know bt are back at the table now but BT have generally lost their interest in sport. It's not the, you know, seven years ago when they signed that, they were making statements of intent. We are going out and we are challenging Sky. We're in a very, very different scenario now. They aren't, you know, they're not out there spending megabucks for it. So if they do end up with a, you know, with BT or with Sky, it's not really going to be, I I can't see it being an improved or even close to what the deal was right now. So that's where I think things have changed. So, you know, the, the future has been, precarious for the region since day one to be perfectly honest and um and that's where i think uh, you know if you are a um a shrewd investor you'd be looking at now and thinking now is the time where actually i'd be able to uh, to make some inroads in terms of the uh in terms of not only the players but but just the the general um the way that the english sides have been able to be much more competitive in in europe than any of the regions have but whether or not that'll happen, you know, we'll see. But I, I certainly, you know, if you if you just bought the Ospreys, and look, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a serial investor, but I would be worried if I bought it and thought, well, look, let's just try and keep costs down to a minimum, um, because you know, the it's too turbulent at times so for that. I think they, I think they have to strengthen and go out there and, and prove, um, um, you know, prove to their fans, prove to uh, prove to the the Welsh public that that they're gonna they're gonna really move the region forward so you know we'll, we'll see whether that happens or not 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I take your point, but as I said, it's just going to be really turbulent. There's, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns, um, you know, over the next couple of seasons, and you know, we we just don't know. You know, we just don't know how things are going to pan out. And then obviously you've got the dragon situation. In my opinion, as soon as the sooner they get back into private investment, um, it's just sorry. The sooner they get privately owned again, the better. Uh, because at the moment it's just a big conflict of interest, isn't it? So, um, yeah, um, it's going to be turbulent times, but um, it'd be interesting times as well. But um, I am particularly worried about the future of of all four professional teams in Wales. But, um, you know, time will tell. It will. Well, let's move on and have a look at uh, at the Dragons now, the Ospreys opposition next week. And um, as you say there... Uh, there's been yeah no secret and no kind of uh, no shortage of controversy around their recruitment over the summer, um, but they have recruited a number of a number of high profile players certainly by the Dragon standards the likes of Jamie Roberts and, and Jonah Holmes and uh, coming in and then you've got uh, Nick Tompkins in on the loan as well. Uh, the a lot of talk seems to suggest that that Will Rollins might follow suit. Um, Putting aside the, uh, unless you want to take on the, the the finance of it, but um, what have you? Yeah, what have you made of uh, of the uh, the recruitment of the dragons? Yeah, putting aside the um, you know the, the politics, um, yeah, it's been good. It's been the um, it's, it's been the most um, positive recruitment I think they've had in their history. If I'm being honest, um, you know, well since the same person mm. gone anyway. So. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, if we started Jamie Roberts. I think he's obviously he's not as good as he was in his peak, but he's still a very good player as he showed in in Super Rugby for the Stormers. Um, it's not out of the realms of possibility to play for Wales, mind, but my, my gut feeling is he, you know, he probably won't. So mm. he'll be there throughout the season, and um, he's a high, still a high caliber player, and um, he's very experienced. So he'd help the likes of an Iron Owen develop. So I think that's a really good sign in. Nick Tompkins, almost pointless in a way, because let's be honest, he's top, top player, but you're hardly going to see him and it's a one-year loan deal. Um, you know, the cynic in me would think that because they're union-owned, they've got nothing to lose. But I, I don't think you'll, you'll see much of him at Rodney Parade next season. Um, he's, you know, he's a very good player, but yeah, I mean, they've got nothing to lose because they're WIU-owned. But... Um, that I don't, I don't think that's quite as good as signing as they're making out. I think if they got Will Rowlands, I think that'd be a really good signing because I think mm. he's, um, you know, they, they've they've lost Corey Hill, which is a big blow because he was such a big personality off the field as well and a leader. Um, so I think they they need to bug the front five up. It was a weakness anyway, and he'll help there. Uh, I think I also think Greg Bateman, if that signing's announced, I don't see him playing for Wales, like some people have said, mm. but I think. The, really good club player um can play across the front row which is very rare so i think that that's a really solid signing as as well so um you know i, I think the dragons are definitely headed in in the right direction john holmes i think's top signing as well um and yeah this is the first time i can't even remember the last time this is the first time for a very very long time that i think the dragons are um you know the, you can be optimistic about their chances yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think yeah, just just on the the caliber of the players coming in, I can't remember a I can't remember a, a series of signings like it. To be honest, you know, yeah, not not since the the kind of the the Newport days. Um, 
you know when there was kind of a, a glut of uh, a glut of um, international stars coming in. And to be honest, it's what's needed, and I think a lot of it comes down to the character. As much as Jamie Roberts will be doing a good job, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he'll put in some really solid, um, good performances, but. It's as much what he's doing in that dressing room that I think is is going to really help. You know, when you have a when you have a player like that who's you know the you know kind of consummate professional, really, I think that is that's just going to help the um, the overall side, and that's that's what's needed in there. And again, much like uh, much like we're saying about some of the some of the Cardiff players, that's what's needed with um, with some of the the Dragons players now. And we, we said this when we were chatting to Ashton Hewitt the other week. You know, you need players like like Ashton now. He's not a you know he's not a, a youngster anymore. Although he's young, you know, he's only 24, 25 years old. He's got so much experience that you need those those level of players who were always seen as good prospects to kick on and be the be the heartbeat of the team now, alongside some of those more experienced signings. And uh, and I think having the likes of Roberts in that will mean that. I think just like the the hunger in training and and stuff like that 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 he'll be able to show will be of benefit to not just the centres but the 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 dressing room as a whole. Yeah, I absolutely agree, hundred percent. But one player I'm really keen to see kick on and stay injury free because he'd be an asset not just for the Dragons but for Wales is Ollie Griffiths. Mm. I mean, he's the best player I've ever seen play for Wales in the twenties. I'm including Jonathan Davis and Bob mm. and all them. He's the best I've seen at age grade level. I think when I've seen him play for the Dragons, when he's stayed fit, he's just been, you know, he's been outstanding, and uh, he's got the potential to be one of the one of the best, um, you know, back rowers in Wales. So um, if if not the UK, so um, yeah, I think he he deserves a bit of luck. So I'm keen to see him stay fit. Um, another, you know, the, you you got a lot of players like you said, like Ashton Hewitt. Um, uh, you know, you've got um, Harrison Caddy. Mm. You know, he's he's a player with potential. Team Basham's got huge potential as well. Um, you know, and now you're in Owen, the centre's a bit younger, but again, he's he's one with, with massive potential. So they've got some of the better young players in Wales, um, you know, if, if you think about it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more optimistic uh, about the Dragons on the field um, than I've, I've ever been, really. But obviously, there's... There's a big cloud hanging over them as well because um, you can't really talk about them without talking about the politics and um, you know the, there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of bad feeling at you know in Welsh rugby among the fans and and among other regions really um, towards towards them because obviously they're, they're owned by the WIU and even though they've got the smallest playing budget still I mean it's the the whole cost of running the Dragons. Um, you know, and obviously there's this whole thing where they allegedly was uh, a stop on signing players during the coronavirus, and um, you know they've been accused. I don't know whether it's true or not, um, but they've been accused of signing players when when there was was an embargo. So there, there's all this sort of thing hanging over the, the dragons as well at the moment. So, and, it, and in my opinion, it is a big conflict of interest. Uh, I don't think you can have one union-run team and then three privately owned teams. Mm. It's just it's a conflict of interest. I I think that the sooner I know that party they're close to it, so the sooner that David Buttress gets them back into private ownership, the better. And then we can we can move forward and we can stop being jealous of them, basically. So yeah, I th- I think um I I think that needs to happen pretty soon because uh, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of questions to be asked at the moment. Yeah, and look, I think 
I think that's probably the feeling from within the club as well. You know, that's certainly the noises that David Buttress makes is that the desire has been for a long time to be privately owned again. And I think you're, you know, having a, yeah, having one owned by the the union doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't make sense. And it was as, as a result of, of the fact that they're in such a dire situation that it was, it was that or fold, um, that or fold aside. Um, mm. But now is, now is the position in terms of on the pitch that, that justification of of keeping the side going has to be proved, and um, and I think with I think with this squad and with the uh, and with the the improvements that they've made under Dean Ryan, I think that setup is there a lot more than than it has been for a very long time. And I think this this is the thing, and again, this is perhaps where Ospreys can be um, um, can be more optimistic as well. Is I, I think just the experience that Dean Ryan has brought. Yeah. has made such a difference you know you've not got a coach there trying to um trying to kind of carve his you know carve his name out and, and cut his teeth as a coach which is a really hard thing to do anywhere yet alone at a you know a region that's got a, a paper thin squad as uh, as the dragons did for a very long time and um i think that, that you know that's that's definitely helped and and i, I think toby booth will have a similar impact uh, alongside the likes of Brock James at um, at the Ospreys, it's just having that experience of knowing the the simple things you can do when you go into a dressing room and say, right, here's how we can tighten things up um, and make ourselves more competitive. And and I think yeah, Ryan's been able to do that, and I think Booth will be able to do the same. Yeah, and I, I think as well. I mean, we, we've spoken about um, you know n- new signings, and we we had a chat about obviously. Um, Franks with the Scarlets and the Ospreys coaching team, but Dragons have made some changes in the backroom team as well, mm-hmm. haven't they? Um, you know, they've got um, Gordon Ross come in, former Scotland 10. Um, be interesting to see how he goes. Um, Luke Narraway is there now full time. So, you know, things have changed in the backroom team as well. So, be interesting to see if there's any any difference in the way they play. Um, you know, Dean Roy in second season. Um, well, obviously, the same season. Probably when we get round to it, yeah. Yeah, it'll be the second season. So, um, he he's, you know he knows the players inside out. He um, he's had a chance to recruit his backroom team and, and players. So, uh, I I think again politics aside, that you know I think you know I don't think the Dragons are good enough to win silverware, and um, they're still way off that. But I think they can compete to be in the Champions Cup. I know they're in it next year, but. You know, it's an again, anomaly, really. Yeah. Day there, and um, it'd be interesting to see um, see what plans the the new owners have when, because apparently it's, it's it's imminent that they're gonna that they're gonna go um, you know down the private ownership route. So it'd be interesting to see how much money would come in from that point of view as well. So um, yeah, it's going it's going to be interesting times, and um, yeah, it'd be it'd be pretty turbulent as well. I think so. Well, yeah. Let's um, let's finish just quickly by uh, by getting a prediction for you on that one again. Limited because we've uh, we've not seen any of these sides for for five months. But how do you see that one panning out? Again, very difficult. I suspect it'll be tight. But I'm going to go for a Dragons win. I'm going to do exactly the same as well. So there we go. We're uh, we're aligned in that regard. But look, Steph, it's been fantastic to chat to you. And uh, and yeah, although it's uh, although it's weird, it is good to have. Uh, uh, rugby back in Wales next week and uh, we'll look forward to, to dissecting that uh, with you all very very soon but yeah Steph thanks for joining and thank you for listening we'll be back to chat rugby with you very very soon thanks awesome.
Social Podcast Network.